Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, November 15th. We are here live. Yes, I missed yesterday. Uh, we are here live today. I'm going to open the phone lines right now, so jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. We have a free-for-all for a half hour at the bottom of the hour. Got uh, Dr. Griffin joining me from Sovereign Silver. Um, we will talk about uh, whatever he has on his mind, and he can also uh, take some questions. So if you want to jump in and join us, do it right now. The phone lines are open, 855-950-3835. So I, I think I found my limit. Um, I have been sick twice in the last nine years, and uh, yesterday was one of those days. You know, I, I started feeling a little under the weather. Well, it was almost 10 days ago. Well, it was uh, the, the day that I had to give my presentation in Nashville. Uh, I remember waking up with a really sore throat, and I knew I needed to recover some, so I took most of that day off and slept all afternoon. And since then, it felt like every night at the end of the day when I was really wore out, I could start to feel it again. Then I'd get a decent night's sleep. I haven't had a whole lot of sleep this trip, but I'd wake up the next morning and I'd feel fine. And by the end of the day, I thought, well, I'm just, uh, maybe I'm coming down with something. Uh, and then I pushed too far. Uh, and I don't know if this was just a coincidence or not. I know the first time I, I got sick on my last road trip, I was not taking any supplements at all. So this trip, I was careful not to try that experiment again, right up until um, last weekend when I went to, I moved out of the coach and um, spent the weekend at David's place and didn't take any of my supplements with me. So it was three or four days of no supplements. You know, I woke up Monday, not feeling real great. But um, I did the show, and then throughout that night, it just really got worse. And then yesterday, there was no way I could have done the show. Um, so I spent most of the day resting, and I feel like I've kicked the worst of it. I'm here today. Got up pretty early this morning. I'm starting to fade now, so uh, I think after the show today, I'm going to take it easy again. I did go back and look. There were some uh, pretty clear signs in, my, uh, in all my numbers. So both times that I ended up sick, my body battery had dropped to five and would not recover. Uh, I could sleep six or seven hours and, and I'd still be at five. I would be in a high stress level throughout the whole time I was sleeping. My HRV dropped into the low 30s and I got sick. Kind of the same pattern this time. My, uh, my body battery had tanked. I could not get it back. My HRV dropped. Uh, and then I got sick. So I don't think it's a coincidence. Uh, I think there's a pretty clear pattern there. I am really going to try hard to avoid having that happen again because it's absolutely no fun. Um, I got a couple things I want to talk about today, but uh, jump in and join us. Those phone lines are open 855-950-3835. Um, hmm. I'm still fighting with some audio issues, too. I, I know you can hear me. I know we're live, but we've had some audio qualities. Things aren't sounding the way they're supposed to sound, but I'm not sure why not yet. Maybe I'll uh, 
Maybe I'll work on that this afternoon. That's not too stressful. I thought I had it figured out this morning, but obviously not. Um, a couple things. I, I just posted something on uh, both X and uh, Let's Truck Tribe. Switzerland has banned mammograms. Kind of shocked to see this. I think it needs to happen, but I'm very shocked that a country has done it. Uh, I doubt the U.S. will ever do it. I've talked about medical screenings for years, and I recommend against almost all medical screenings. I, I won't do any. I won't do any medical screenings whatsoever. Now, a lot of people are probably wondering what I mean because I do medical testing quite often. There's a difference between medical testing and medical screening. The real definition of medical screening and the problem with it is that you are looking for a problem that you have absolutely no symptoms of. And over the years, they've terrified us into believing if you don't do these screenings, you're going to get cancer and die. They're usually cancer screenings we're talking about, uh, which is what mammograms are. Uh, prostate screenings. Uh, whole body scans, all of these procedures where we're looking for problems when we have no symptoms. Now, if you have a symptom of something and there's a test we can do to verify it, absolutely. I, I would do that. I, I've done fairly extreme screening some, or testing sometimes, things that I wouldn't really want to do, but I did to see if there was definitely a problem, but I had symptoms at the time. If you hear um, a couple seconds of silence, it's just me clearing my throat. Um, still having a little bit of an issue with that today. So medical screenings are procedures and tests looking for a problem when there are no symptoms present. And a lot of people have been brainwashed into believing, well, what's the harm? What if, what if I do find something positive? Wouldn't that be worth it? Well, I don't know. What if it's a false positive, which is very, very common? And a false positive on a screening will lead to something like a biopsy that is that has absolute issues and can cause serious medical conditions. But even a screening like a mam mammogram, they are invasive and damaging in several ways. And false positives and false negatives are common in all screenings. These things are just money-making scams. And it's good to see that we finally have a country who is standing up and saying, no, um, the mammogram is not a good idea. But I will tell you, this, um, this topic will get you censored and deleted just about as fast as talking about the vaccine. This is one of those topics that every time I mention it, not only do I get censored or deleted by social media sites, I get a lot of pushback from individuals. I've been called all kinds of names. I'm going to kill people if I, if I keep telling them not to take these screenings. And people will swear up and down that the screening saved their life when there's no real evidence that it did, even if something was found. If you want to talk about that or anything else, phone lines are open. I'm almost wondering if our phones are working. Maybe we should check them. I don't have any calls yet. That's unusual, especially on a Wednesday. Jump in and join us, 855-950-3835. Uh, if you have an opinion on medical screenings, I'd, I'd love to hear it. 
like I say, I get uh, get a lot of pushback on this one. I've had a lot of people get really, really angry over this issue. It's an emotional topic, and I've even recommended several good books about this topic. I'm t- I was just trying to think of a, I know two of them should be right on the top of my head. Neither one of them came to mind. Um, Overdiagnosis, I believe, by Gilbert Welch is the number one book I recommend on this. It is a really tough, um, it's a tough topic to try to help people understand because the medical community have pushed these so hard. And there's all these stories about saving people's lives with early detection, and but you never hear of the other side of the story. You never hear of all the damage that is done by these, the stress that's caused by false positives, or even the damage done by false negatives. One of the problems with this, and again, it's really hard to, under, to, to explain to people, is that there are cancer can fall into two groups. One is so fast acting, and we are seeing a lot of these now, by the way, turbo cancers is the term that's being used, that even if you went for a screening every month, you wouldn't catch these in time. And then there are cancers like prostate is a good example of this, that prostate cancer is very, very common as men get older. I think I remember the statistic was something along the lines of if, if men make it to like age 75, um, their odds of having prostate cancer when they die, I think was over 90%. But it's not what killed them. Not even close. They just had cancerous cells in their prostate. But that was so slow growing that it was never going to be the cause of their death. But people get really, really emotional about this, uh, this topic. So sometimes it's hard to talk to people about this. Um, calls are coming in. I guess I woke everybody up. Our phones are working, by the way. So uh, we'll get to the calls, and then Dr. Griffin will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. And hopefully he can take over talking, and I can uh, rest my voice a little more. Let's go to Indiana to get started. Jeff, welcome to the program. Yeah, just wanted to call, make sure your phone lines were working, and maybe check up on some progress. Been at, at this just about a little over three years now, and I know we've talked before, but just uh, letting your guys out there, the whole tribe, know that uh, if you just stick with it and keep at it, you will feel and see results, more or less, more of the... Uh, feeling part because before I started this, I had resigned myself to shoulder and knee inflammation and pain that this was going to be what I was going to feel every day when I went grain-free and to keto to begin with. Within two weeks, 14 days, maybe even 10, I just woke up one morning and it was gone. It was there and it's never come back. So like you've always said, try it for 10 days. Try it for 30. It, what's it going to hurt? And you start today. If you already had your breakfast, then start at lunch. You know, it's interesting. I, I uh, spent a lot of time with somebody over the weekend. I got talking to him, and this is somebody who has not listened to my show. Um, he's familiar with my show, and he's familiar with the followers, but he really hasn't listened to the show. And he's uh, 
my age, in fact, we're, we're like three months apart in age, really fit he is, does a lot of working out, uh, really big, strong, healthy looking guy, very active. Um, but the more we talked, the more he told me about all of his health issues. And honestly, you would look at this guy and think he's in really good shape for a 60-year-old. I mean, he looks incredible, although he's got a little bit of a gut um, that he says he just can't get rid of no matter how hard he works out. And I'm not surprised. So we got talking and, you know, I tried to convince him to try some form of a paleo diet for 30 days. I said, if you really want to see the best results, do a kind of a fat heavy carnivore diet or a meat heavy keto diet, however you want to look at it. And your results are going to be incredible. And there was no way I was going to convince him to do this for 30 days, none whatsoever. So I kept working it down. I said, well, what about two weeks then? And he still just, he was just so skeptical. And he's even, he, he, he's in a position where he talks to my callers every now and then. And he's heard the stories, but he hasn't heard enough of them. Not like people that listen to this show every day. I've said that for a long time. The power behind the show is the repetition and the the testimonials that have just been coming in for years. I finally, finally got him to agree to, here's what I could get him to agree with, and I'm hoping we get some results. I think we will. All I could get him to agree to was 48 hours of no grains. Well, that sounds pretty easy. I mean, I, I will have to admit, I listened to you for 18 months thinking, yeah, I should try that. Yeah, I should try that. Yeah, I should try that. And then a year or six months, 18 months, and then just three years ago, yeah, you had said, what's wrong with starting today, right now? And I'm like, you know, you're right. What's, what's the worst that's going to happen? And I've never looked back. I've never looked back. I mean, I, I can you, I mean, you can go without something for two days. You know, I mean, if you told me I couldn't eat meat for two days, I eat chicken and pork. I mean, wait a minute. You just confused me. Forty-eight hours. Did you say beef or meat? Beef. Well, if you oh, okay, you, yeah. If you anybody can do anything for anything. Yeah, exactly. Anything Forty-eight hours. Right. It, I just if you said no beef, yeah, I would right. eat pork and chicken instead of seafood. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the oh, lines okay. that. Um, uh, Tony Robbins used to use a lot, uh, in, you know, in a situation like this where, where, you know, there's something you should at least try it and you just kind of don't ever get around to it. He had a way and it was really subtle. I don't even know if a lot of people caught it. He would say, when is a better time than now to try this? And, and there's no, yeah. there's no good answer to that. If you even think that it might help you in some way, why put it off? Why not just try and get it over with? Figure out it, it, it either works or it doesn't. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, I also listened to Dave Ramsey, and he said right now will probably be the best time or the lowest price for you to buy a house. And everybody goes, well, they all went up. He goes, yeah, so they're not going to come down in five years. You wish you would have bought. So why don't you do it now? Yeah, that we could go off on that topic, too. I'm not sure if he's right on that one or not. Yeah, that's uh, that one gets more that one gets more complicated because it involves economics. But I, 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 the theory of when is a better time than now? 
Right. I mean, if you if you're looking at a four hundred thousand dollar house and you wait five years, well, it's not going to be two hundred thousand dollars. Well, I would agree with that. I've never oh. seen. Yeah, I've never seen a downturn in. Yeah, I've never seen a downturn in real estate prices that lasted five years. But I have seen some that last. Well, you know, '08 was almost there. '08 was a huge downturn in real estate prices. In 2012, I still bought properties really cheap, for about half of what the property I bought in 2012 was half of what it was priced for in '08. So there was a time where that has happened. Now, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, the way things are running now, I mean, like you said, white, it's going to be, if you have the financial wherewithal, just do it now. Don't wait. Yeah, that, that, that is a tough one because the other problem is as the real estate prices went up, so did rent and people got squeezed on both ends. Yeah. That, and they're still being squeezed on both ends. Right. But at least if anything, you lock in your budget of what your housing costs is your mortgage isn't going to raise your mortgage payment, but your rent will every couple of years or maybe every year. Yeah. And I'll just throw in one caveat to that. As long as you don't have an adjustable rate mortgage, because we just saw what happened to interest rates too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's why sure. sometimes applying these lessons to economics can get a little trickier. <laughs> well, we throw in Biden economics and that doesn't help. Oh, then we're screwed. Yeah, just getting back to the health. Yeah, just getting back to the health thing. Just, just today. Just start today. It's not. It's, nothing is going to happen to you. And then by the end of November, you can either quit or you will feel so fantastic that you'll never go back. I, I agree. I agree. And I, I'm hoping, and we've seen it before. I, I've had people stop grains for just a couple days and they see a difference. I'm hoping that happens here. And it was interesting because... When I first said that, why don't you just try stopping grains for 48 hours? He said, I doubt that that would do anything. And I said, well, how do you know? And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, I, I, I want you to think of a day in your life, all 60 years of it, other than when you were a total infant, uh, that think of a day that you didn't eat grains. And he, he got quiet and he, I could tell he was thinking and he said, my God, I'll bet there's never been a day in my life I didn't eat grains. Yeah. So how does you know how your body's going to react if you are constantly putting it in? It, we don't. We don't. And I think that's why people see yeah. that, that first result. And honestly, if I can't convince somebody to try that, then I don't have any hope of helping them. Right. And like you said, you, you don't offer advice unless someone asks. And if they do, then, you know, it's, it's full bore. I don't, I don't, say anything to anybody when they if they unless they ask me oh you've lost so much weight you look so much fitter they go that's, that's the half of it i just feel so damn good at 59 that i haven't felt like this that i can't remember in how long i felt better in the last three years doing keto and carnivore than i have in the last probably 30 there's no doubt. Older. Yeah, so. no doubt. And and I will say that, you know, the experiment again that I've been on since I left home, very strict carnivore, which I've never done before. I've done really strict keto. But I've never done really strict carnivore. The results are incredible. And I would have to say this is the easiest way of eating to follow of all. 
Food prep is easy. I love all the food that I eat. It's quick. It's simple. And I feel incredible. Even when I was sick. I mean, I, I got sick yesterday. I felt awful. But I have a feeling my results would have been way worse had I not been eating this way. And But I also know now that just like you can't, you know, out-exercise a, a diet or out-supplement, um, you can't let stress get so deep that you, you can't recover. And that's really where I got to. And I, I knew I was doing it. I kept thinking, I only have a couple more days. I'll get through this. Um, my body battery had completely tanked and wouldn't recover. My HRV was at about its lowest. And that's when I got sick. Uh, but I, I, you know, it was really the worst of it was about 24 hours. And I feel like I'm, uh, I'm on, on recovery yet, but I think I'm going to need another day or two um, before I really start feeling good again. Well, if you hadn't been eating like this for the last nine years, just like you said, you would have been this sick on Friday. Oh, well, there's yeah. still that bad. You never, you just, you, 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 your immune fought it off till it, it couldn't anymore. And then it, one day it hit it and then started recouping. You would have been down for seven days. Well, I used to be prior to eating this way. I used to get sick once or twice a year. Anytime I was around other sick people and I didn't recover well. And um, and there is another factor. And I I knew it. I said it was a factor last time. Uh, It was a factor this time. Not only um, Friday did I end up not taking my supplements for three or four days. There was also alcohol involved. Not a ton, um, but it was just part of what was going on most of that weekend is there was a lot of people around. We were kind of relaxing after uh, a bunch of events and um, I was imbibing on a little bit of alcohol and I think it was enough just to push me over the top. It's one more thing that just weakens your immune system. Yeah. If if you don't do that often and then you do do it for a bit, it shocks your system. And then if you got around somebody and caught a bug and then you were, you're, you're double whammy right from the, from the get go of putting the alcohol in there. And so now that you look back at it and I've heard, have had people say this to me before, was it worth those two or three drinks those couple days? Absolutely not. I should. And, and, you know, I, I thought I was, and, and, you know, some of these were, were long days and some people were drinking pretty heavily. Uh, I thought I was managing it because I'd have a glass of wine and then I'd switch to like uh, sparkling water and lime for a little while. And then I might have another glass of wine. I doubt that I ever had more than two glasses of wine in a day, but it wasn't worth it. No, I, I, I wouldn't do it again. Now, let me yeah. say this. If I'm in a position where my HRV is strong, I feel great, my body battery's charged, and I happen to go out to dinner with somebody and I want a glass of wine, I'll have a glass of wine again. But I, I certainly won't do it when I'm in a situation like that. Well, now you've got your watch that can at least give you a precursor to if you're able or available or whether you should or shouldn't. You have some kind of gauge to tell you yes or no or, you know, indifferent. Yeah. Well, well, there's no doubt I could see all of this happening on the watch in real time. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. 
Okay. I'm still waiting for you to put out, I know another thing on your plate to put out a, a video of using that watch, how to set up the, all the stuff so I can watch that and then I'll buy that. You know, one of the, um, one of the challenges with that, honestly, I just got another update this morning and I need to go through and check that things haven't changed. You know, a lot of times you make these videos oh. like that and two weeks later they roll out an update and your whole video is shot because they changed things. Oh, oh! so instead of pushing the right button three times, you do that and it takes you somewhere else Stop. on an update or something? Something like that happens or they change the way they... I mean, one of the recent updates added some new morning report that never used to existed, but it also took away some of the options for putting widgets on the watch face which i used to do uh, i'll figure yeah that's what i'm afraid of i'm not i'm gonna just, i'm gonna get it and then i'm not gonna know how to use it yeah it um i absolutely love the watch but like anything else the more things that it can do the more complicated it becomes all right well rest up get yourself better and uh have a good rest of your uh, trip. Will do. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's go to California. Boytek, welcome. Good morning. What's on your mind today? I, I know why you got sick. Why? First of all, I need to tell you why you got sick, and hopefully uh, you will never do it again. The reason you're sick is because you went to F3, and you mingled with those filthy brokers, and you got their cooties from them. It, it, it could be. I, I thought about that. You know, I was um, was hanging out with a bunch of broke. You know, there were also a lot of owner operators at, at that conference. I'm not saying well, that was the case, but, you know, I'm pretty sure I got cooties from somebody. Uh, well, the reason I'm calling is uh, I need some good uh, books to read on freight sales so I can join the ranks of those filthy brokers and get filthy rich and uh, don't have to drive a truck anymore and just can uh, retire on uh, three loads a day. Freight sales. I don't think I've ever read a book on freight sales. Really? Yeah, somebody should write one, I guess. I really think, though, that you don't see a lot of books on specific sales in any area because sales are kind of sales. You know, you don't have to get specific. So, um there's tons of tons of good books on sales. Okay. What do you got? Uh, Zig Ziglar has a lot of really easy reading stuff on sales. I like his stuff. <laughs> it's more for the, um, I would say, the amateur salesperson. Person that it, sales isn't really there. Yeah, sales isn't really your job. But because of your business, you should be better at sales. And I, I think Sig Ziglar stuff is, is easier to read and more effective than some of the more like professional sales books I've read. Now, I'll tell you another really good book that isn't technically about sales, but all sales are negotiations. And Chris Voss's book, it, I've always recommended it since it came out. But after I saw him the other day at F3, I was really impressed. Never split the difference. I, and I, I got that one. Now he also has a master. He has a master class that you can take. Oh really? Yeah. Like the master class, the website. I think that's where it is. I'm assuming because I I saw somebody post that he had a master class, so I was thinking it must be there. You get um, you get more of his personality. 
when you see him directly. I, I think the book was written by a couple people. I'm not really sure, but his his personality really came out in the um, in the presentation. He and it wasn't really a presentation. It was a uh, an interview on stage with with him and Craig Fuller. Craig did a great job on the interview, but you you really I got more out of that almost than than I got out of the whole book. And the book was good, but it was watching him that really kind of uh, drove home some of those lessons. Well, maybe I'm going to have to uh, attend the F3 next year. They had some good speakers. I'll say that. Yeah, they had. I saw some pictures of some of that scientist, physicist. Uh, What's his name? Uh, oh, it was kind of surprising that he was there. Yeah, I didn't get to see him either. Part of the problem for me was I was on the air during some of the best presentations. A lot of them were first thing in the morning. They started early. I think one, one morning they were doing something at like 7.15 or 7.30, I think. Uh, but then I, I missed several of the presentations because I was on the air. But the ones I did get to see were good. Okay, so I'm going to start with Zig Ziglar. Give it a shot. Tell me what you think. All right, talk to you soon. All right, it is time to bring in our esteemed guest, Dr. Edward Griffin. Dr. Griffin, welcome back. Late morning. Uh, I'll have to look at the clock to see what time it actually is. But yeah, good morning. How are things? Uh, Good. What time zone are you in? I'm in Eastern, so it's 11.30 for me. It is 11.30. I am, I am close to the border of Eastern and Central. I'm in the Panhandle at Florida. Oh. And it, uh, for a while there, it seemed like it was changing back and forth about every half hour. But I, I'm parked now, and I'm, I'm solidly in the Central time zone for now. Central time zone for now. Okay, so it's 10.30 for you then. It is, yeah. It's amazing that this whole time change thing, and I think we referred to it last time, is just how crazy the time change is, and it's dark at 5.30 at night right now, so it's just mind-blowing. As I see the parking lot lights coming on as I'm leaving work, and I'm like, it's, there's no way it's that late already, but I, it's wintertime and 5.30. Yeah. I, I wish we could just do away with the whole time change nonsense. Just just pick a time, and can we all just stick to it? Exactly. Let's pick a time and stick with it. I mean, what was, you know, why did we do daylight saving time was supposedly for farming and for, I guess, agricultural practices originally, but we got, we don't really need it anymore. And even with agricultural practices and farming, roosters don't know a difference in time. They don't got watches. The cows don't know. They get milked at the same time. The pigs don't know. Why are we changing clocks? That's a good point. And, And tractors all have lights now. Exactly. Tractors have lights. And if you have a pet, if you've got a dog or a cat, they still want to be fed at the same time. It doesn't matter if your watch is five o'clock or four o'clock. It's dinner time to their stomachs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just. I think sometimes if we just listen to our animal instincts a little bit about, especially with things like that and time is, it's, time is really a made up construct we use to, I guess, just to, organize things, but why do we change time in the winter? And I think it's ridiculous. And I think they keep bringing up a bill to eliminate it. And I, I believe we're actually only down to a couple of places that do a daylight savings time. Nor, a lot of North America still does it. I, I looked this up the other day. So it's a lot of North America still does it. 
and Europe, like Western Europe, well, are the only ones that really do daylight saving time. Well, what gets even more confusing is we don't. It's not even consistent across our states. Exactly. Arizona, Hawaii, Hawaii, yeah, yeah, they don't change. Yeah, there's a couple of states that are actually in two time zones too. So, oh yeah, then it gets really goofy. It gets really silly, and what? Yeah, what's the point of it? It's when it's light out, it's daytime. When it's dark out, it's nighttime. Doesn't matter what time it is. There we go. All right, our bodies don't really know, but our bodies get screwed up with the time change. So. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. So speaking of bodies screwed up, um, I, I pushed mine well beyond its limits again, and I know better. But uh, yeah, so I've been sick twice in the last nine years since I changed my diet. And it's been wonderful right. most years not to get sick, even when everybody around me is getting sick. So the last time it happened was the last time I took a long road trip by myself. What happens uh, two things change when I'm on a road trip. Usually, if I'm on a road trip, there's a reason. Like, it usually means I'm going to be at events and speaking. Um, I had multiple events on this trip, multiple speaking engagements, uh, a lot of stress between that. But my workload just about doubles. I'm still doing the show. I'm still doing, you know, answering questions on the website. I'm still doing all the normal work that I do when I'm at home. But I've got four or 500 miles to drive a day. I've got fueling of the coach. I've got to set up and break down when I'm, you know, in RV parks. I have to do my own laundry. I'm doing my own cooking and shopping. There's just a lot of, a lot of extra work. And it got down to the point over the last couple of weeks where I was sleeping about four and a half or five hours a night because I was so wound up and so busy. And I watched all my readings. You know, I, I watch HRV and some other readings every day and I watched those start to tank. Um, and then the final blow after about uh, two weeks of really pushing too hard, um, I went someplace else for the weekend. I moved out of my coach and spent a weekend at somebody's house, didn't take my supplements with me and uh, just slept even worse because it was, you know, in a strange place. And that seemed to be the final one, two, knockout punch. Uh, I, Monday night, I really started to feel bad. Knew something was coming. Yesterday, I got up. I couldn't even do the show. I spent most of the day in bed yesterday, and I got up this morning and felt a little better. So I felt, you know, I'm probably over the worst of it. I think uh, my immune system is finally fighting back. It, it, 24 hours, not a big deal, but I felt pretty rough. There was no way I could have done the show yesterday. Uh, but I, I think I'm on the mend. But you know, I, I, there's a clear lesson there. Um, no matter how good your diet is, you can't push that far. Something bad is going to happen. And then, I don't know if it was a coincidence or not, but the last three days without the supplements seemed to be the, the last straw. Yeah, there's so many factors. You know, we think about that, you know, is, oh, why do we get sick? And you mentioned, you know, traveling, speaking at events. So first there, you know, there's the additional stress and people don't even think about it is when it, what it takes to prepare for an event. It's a speaking event. It's, it's not just, I show up on stage and I talk. It's, I have to think about it ahead of time is what do I want to talk about? What am I going to, you know, what am I going to say? What's my outline? But also, am I taking questions? What questions am I going to get? And I was thinking about that, even, um, you know, getting ready for this call today. It's like, I prepare 
But we always kind of have this organic flow when we talk and is what's going to come up and is as prepared as you can, can, can be. You're never going to be completely prepared. And uh, you, I, I heard you talking about Zig Ziglar there and I was looking up some quotes and it's expect the best, prepare for the worst, capitalize on what comes is a Zig Ziglar quote. And so it's, I, I live by that is always prepare for the worst, but hope for the best is, you know, is what do we do? You know, when we're preparing for an interview, when we're preparing, preparing for a speaking event, but now we've got that added stress, the exposure to people that might be, you know, carrying bugs and things like that, that increased workload that you talk about that now adds the stress, but also decreased sleep. So all these things that are, you know, affecting our cortisol and affecting our bodies and our normal rhythm and routine, uh, and then think about also, you know, eating habits that change, where our diet might not necessarily change as much, but we're maybe not on the normal schedule that we have that throws our body a little off. Again, back to that time change, throws our body off a little bit and allows that opportunistic, that virus, that bacteria coming in. So that jumps back even to, uh, have you been taking your silver, you know, is, are you supporting your immune system with silver, that nasal spray, that everyday silver that we talked about last time. I, well, I was right up until the last three days. And, you know, it. I said okay. in the last 10 days leading up to that, it was almost at the end of every day, I felt like I was coming down with something. I knew my body had been exposed to something. I knew I was fighting it. I was taking the silver every day of my other supplements, and I'd wake up the next morning and say, oh, whatever it was, it's gone. I feel better today. And by the end of the day, I'd be right back into that mode again. And then the last three days, I just didn't think it was going to be, be a big deal. I didn't want to pack a bunch of stuff and take it with me. So I stopped taking the silver and my other supplements. Now, you mentioned a, a couple other things. I speak a lot. And, and most of the time, you could wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning, say, hey, we need you to talk about fuel mileage or taxes or whatever it is, and I can walk up on stage and talk about it. I've done it enough to know. There was a difference this time. I was um, invited right. to be the keynote speaker. And I actually told the group, look, I really don't do keynote stuff. It, it's different. It's, you know, it should be entertaining, and and I've got to write something, and practice it and they they convinced me that they really wanted me as their keynote speaker so there was a lot of stress in that right up till the end getting ready and leading up to it it wasn't a normal speaking engagement for me and then you're right i did two big conferences back to back i probably shook a thousand hands right yep and it's, it's that shaking hands and it's being around people that kind of wears your music and it's it's the go 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 in events like that and uh, there, there's a speaker that I love listening to. His name is uh, Craig Valentine. And he said something about speaking is like, it's not about getting ready to speak. It's always being ready to speak in a profession like yours, where you're speaking all the time or mine, where I'm always doing education. It's not about getting ready to speak. It's always being ready, having that talk in your back pocket or having that idea of what you just maybe what you just talked about yesterday and repeating it again, but always being ready. And now it's, I think back to the supplements too, is I feel like it's always when I need it the most that I seem to do it the least. It's when I'm traveling that I need it more. Yeah. But I, know. I seem to forget it. Yeah. Or 
I'm talking to somebody and like I just before I came on, I was talking to um, the uh, caller or the, the I don't even know what the caller your uh, your host. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I I was speaking to her and she was telling me about the chickens and so she used some silver on a chicken. But uh, I thought that was amazing. Is we can use it for so many things, but it's always when I have a conversation with somebody and says, "Oh, my son is sick," or "Oh, I've been feeling a little under weather," and I'm always oh, like. Oh, did you try some silver? And then I'm like, oh, wait, did I take my silver today? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's when we need it the most, we forget it, or we get so used to telling other people that we forget to do it ourselves. And I always tell people, and I've heard this for years, is doctors make the worst patients. Sometimes it's the health people. We get so used to doing our thing that we forget to do it for ourselves. You know, it, so it's like we're talking about it all the time. And it's like, wait, did I do my silver today? Yeah. I don't think I did. Yep. Well, that was certainly the case. Um, what do you say? Yeah. We, what do you say we do something different this time? I mean, we'll we'll wrap this back around to silver and uh, some of the other things. But uh, we've got quite a few callers on the line, and I think they would enjoy getting answers from both of us. What do you say we tag team the calls today? I think that would be great. I'd love to chat about it. All right, let's do that. Let's uh, let's go to New York. Jay, welcome. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Good. You get uh, you get you get two answers today, uh, but we're going to charge you double our normal rate too. Hey, hey. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I didn't really have anything to do about the sovereign. I wanted to talk about uh, the diabetes, the dawn effect. You know, I've been doing the, the mostly carnivore meat, vegetables, you know, broccoli, cauliflower, red peppers. And, but every single morning, I get up at 5.30, and from 5.30 to 12 noon, my numbers just keep on going. I go up to 140, 150. I usually level off somewhere around 160. You know, I've been doing the CGM and it's been helping me keep an eye on things, but I can't knock out. I, I don't know what my body's doing. I'm, I'm going crazy. Okay. So you mentioned the dawn effect and I want to clear something up. The, the dawn effect really only shows up in our first reading of the morning. After that, your blood sugar is going to be influenced by what you eat, drink, and consume. So the dawn effect... Okay. From what I've seen and my experience and a lot of people I'm working with, instead of seeing maybe 70s and 80s as a morning blood sugar, it's much more likely when you're eating a very low-carb diet to be in the 90 to 110 range, which technically could be pre-diabetic. It doesn't make any sense if you're really low-carb. Then, But the other change and the other difference is we should see higher morning readings, fasting readings. We should not see big spikes during the day. And the fact that you're going over 140 on what sounds like a low-carb diet tells me you are still very insulin resistant. What is the highest A1C you've ever recorded? Uh, I, I've, been, I've been averaging 5.9. No, that's not what I asked. Listen carefully because it makes a big difference. What is the highest A1C in your life you've ever recorded? Oh, uh, years ago, I can't remember. Uh, it was like a six, six, eight, maybe six, five. It was many years ago. Okay. So not extremely high, not nearly as bad as some of the cases I've dealt with. When did you start eating low carb? 
uh, about maybe two years ago since I saw it, since I caught you on Sirius. Okay. Now, here's what, here's what I want you to go back. I want you to go back, and hopefully you either documented this or you can remember it. When you hit 160, what are the foods you have eaten in the four or five hours prior to that? And I need you to be really specific. Nothing. In the morning, I don't eat anything. My, 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 my dinner is usually 6 o'clock, and by 7, 8 o'clock, I'm done. And I don't eat anything after that. So you're, you're telling me if you wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning, you check your blood sugar, and it's what normally is your first reading when you wake up? 5.30, I wake up, and I'm somewhere between 90 and 110. And then in the next four or in the next, okay, if I, if you let me ask the questions, it'll go a lot faster. So after that, in the next four or five hours, you are not consuming anything, and yet your blood sugar is going up to 160. Well, it's, by, by 12 o'clock, I end up, I end up up there in the one, one, that, 160, between 140 and 160. And, and you're telling me during that time, during that time, you did not consume anything. Exactly. Then I, I'm going to ask. Dr. Griffin to help me here because I'm confused. Now, other than food, there are some things that can raise blood sugar. Stress would be a big one, but I have never in all my testing, and I just went through about the most stress you could possibly go through. Not once did I ever see my blood sugar spike more than maybe 10 or 15 points from stress alone. Um, there are some other medical conditions that could do it. They're pretty rare. This honestly just isn't making any sense to me. Dr. Griffin, do you have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. It sounds like, um, are, are you doing coffee in the morning or anything in a coffee first thing in the morning? No, yeah, sometimes I'll have a black coffee. Just black coffee, so nothing in it. That black coffee. So, you know, yeah, like, uh, like I said, between, let's say, like I said, at 5.30 I wake up, all right, by hey, 6 o'clock I'm already up 10 points. Jay, let me ask you one more thing. Um, I've, what, what, which CGM are you using? Uh, .com. So I have used the Nutrisense's, um, and, and I will tell you that they are not as accurate as a blood stick. Um, but on the Nutrisense, I'm able to calibrate mine, and I've never, even though... I'm going to call you back. I'm sorry. All right. Well, call, call us back. Um, well, uh, yeah. Dr. Griffin, the only yeah. thing I was... Yeah. I, that's that's yeah, the, the only thing. Might be off, and the calibration is what I would think. But I mean, the other thing to think, and a lot of people when they go low carb, is uh, the thing that I look at more than carbs even is chemicals. Low chemical. That's a good point. Is what's the processed food? What's the artificial food? Um, I know uh, a lot of your listeners are um, you know traveling on the road and truckers. So is sometimes it's those convenient things that even if they say they're low carb is what are the other things that are possibly in it? And that makes me, even if you're doing high vegetables, even if you're leading keto is how many glyphosates are in it. So I think that glyphosates can really throw off your hormone balance. And then even with that, think about the fat too, because all of our hormones, insulin included, are related to cholesterol. Cholesterol is built on a fat backbone, 
And what are the fats that you're getting in your diet that could no. throw that off as well? So I think about, you know, the good fats, the uh, coconut oil, olive oil is one of my starting points with that. And leaning keto and going into ketosis can be very beneficial. But think about, I, I'm curious about the chemical load and how much process. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think we're going to need to explore that with them. Things like low-carb tortillas. I, I've looked at these things. They are total garbage. Um, I, I would rather eat a a high a higher-carb tortilla that might be made with almond flour, cassava flour, rather than one that's made with um, wheat and a bunch of chemicals, and they just manage to keep it low-carb. Yeah. And, uh, like, um, my mother-in-law is actually doing a, uh, she started doing this weight loss program, and he really started looking at some of the meals that they were offering and providing for, and I think there, it was absolute garbage. I mean, she was well, losing some weight, but she was taking in all these additional chemicals. So, as it, much as, yeah, you're losing weight, at what cost? You know, what are the chemicals doing to your body, and how are they affecting your hormone balance, how are they affecting your glucose, your insulin, all of those pieces. So we talk about counting calories and counting carbs. I think it's more about counting the chemicals in our food. That's a good point. Is, yeah. Is lean more towards that organic. And and I'll, I'll talk about, I'm going to talk about vegetarians for a minute. Is I've heard people, and I, I'm not trying to insult anybody, but I have, I've had friends over the years that say, oh, yeah, I'm a vegetarian, but I can't seem to lose weight. Well, what are you eating? Well, I eat, you know, Kraft macaroni and cheese. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's vegetarian, but it's not yeah. healthy. Right. So, yeah. yeah. How many chemicals are in that food? Vegetarian. What does that beginning mean? Vegetable, <laughs> not carb. Well, so many times I hear people claim that they're a vegetarian, but they're really a carbitarian. You know, so, yeah, I don't eat. Yeah, just because you don't eat animals doesn't mean you're a vegetarian. So, like, you can be a fruititarian as well and still be a diabetic. It's yeah. natural sugar, but if you're eating fruit all day long, it's still sugar. You know, and what I tend to find, you're, you're absolutely right about this. I, I, I tried to be a vegetarian for several years, and the longer I did it, the less healthy I became. But the problem is, I honestly dropped the meat, but I didn't really eat any more vegetables. For me, there's only so many vegetables I can eat in a day. Honestly, most of them aren't all that enjoyable unless you load them up with butter and fat and salt and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and even then, I can only eat so many of them, and they're not very satisfying. So you start to lean on all the fillers, rice and pasta, and, and then you get into the processed stuff with the breads and the wraps and bagels and and you're right macaroni and cheese and and pretty soon it is yeah. a it, you might as well call yourself a chemicalitarian um that's an awful word yeah. but or you're, or you're a pastafarian because you're eating yeah, pastafarian i like that one yeah that one's good um so i i think uh if we get him back one i'm going to recommend i i started a new group health coaching program. Um, it, it allows me to go deeper into a case like this. Like with this guy, I, I'd love for him to just keep a food journal for four or five days. I don't want people to have to write down yeah. everything they eat for the rest of their life. But it, you have dealt with enough people to know people's memories about what they eat if they're not writing it down are not all that accurate. 
Exactly. I, I can't even tell you what I had for breakfast this morning, yeah. let alone maybe yesterday or the day before, is unless it's something, unless I'm in the habit of eating the same thing all the time. So is, yeah, write it down. And I don't even like to, call, I used to call it a diet diary, but I've changed it and started calling it a lifestyle journal. There you go. Write down what you're eating, but not Wait. just what you're eating. How do you feel? Huh. Do you get that blood sugar crash? <laughs> You get tired, you know, is I also not only we talk about diet diary, but what goes in, but I think what's also as important or more important is what's coming out. What's your urine output? What's your fecal output is and what's it like, you know, is it and I I don't want to get too gross or anything like that, but, you know, does the school sink to the bottom? Does it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You talk about that all the time. Yeah. It's so important what goes in, but also what's coming out, because that gives you an idea of what your body's doing in the meantime. It's interesting you described it that way. We actually refer to ours in this program as a food and mood journal. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I just started calling it a lifestyle journal, yeah, because I, like I hate the term diet, too. I don't know. Yeah, me too. I don't know if you come across it, too. I hate the term diet, because people think, oh... I'm on a diet. No, we're all on a diet. Everybody diet has a diet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, diet right. is what you consume. Yeah. Changing, so you're on a change in your normal diet, which you're now going to alter the way that you eat and lose weight. But as soon as you go back to the way that you used to eat, you're yeah. going to gain it back. Everything goes back and to the way it was. Right. Yeah, let's call this the Oprah Winfrey phenomenon. Do you remember, you know, Oprah did every diet fad diet when it came out and she would gain weight, she'd lose weight, she'd gain weight, she'd lose weight. And it just, you know, every time you turn on a TV, Oprah looked different. Yeah. I call it the Oprah Winfrey phenomenon. These fad diets work great when you do them, but none of them are are long-term and sustainable. So unless you change the way that you think about food and change the way that your your relationship with food, and this is some of those, um, some of the you know, the things like Noom and some of the other ones out there, that's the idea behind them is changing the way that you think about food. Right. And then once you can change the way you think about it, and what's a snack? Is a snack sitting down and eating a bag of potato chips? Well, you can't think about that as normal. Is The snack could be maybe one or two potato chips, not half a bag of potato chips. So it's changing how we do it. And even I'll take this back even to childhood is how often do we pick up some of our bad habits and our sweet tooth from our childhood is, Oh, you had a bad day. Oh, let's have some ice cream. Oh, you lost the baseball game. Let's go get a yeah. ice cream or you want a baseball game. Yeah. Let's right. Exactly. It's going out for the ice cream or the dessert afterwards. And suddenly we get in this habit that, Food is a reward, and this goes back to the psychology of food, and this is positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. So it, it's interesting how it all comes back to this, and it's all about this relationship with food, and really, ultimately, going back to the caller a little bit, is let's count the chemicals in our food, not the calories, the carbs. Let's look, I mean, calorie is simply, a. Just, we started this with talking about time. Calorie is simply a unit of energy measurement. So calorie isn't necessarily bad. It's when you're getting calories 
but no nutrition. And so no nutrition, but high calories, your body is going to start craving that nutrition, which we think is just a desire to eat. So we eat that quick, convenient food, more calories. Again, not enough nutrition. So sometimes there's a difference between appetite and hunger and what our body is trying to tell us. When we get that feeling of hungry, sometimes we're trying to get nutrients in. And it's amazing. And this leads me into even talking about copper, too, is copper is declined in our diets. Minerals have declined in our diets so much. And I, we talk about an obesity epidemic, but I would disagree. Obesity is a symptom of a greater epidemic, which is a malnourishment epidemic. We as a culture have become malnourished. We're eating all these empty calories, but not getting nourished. And it's resulted in this obesity epidemic. So it's not an obesity epidemic. It's a malnourished epidemic that has led to the symptom of obesity. So we can't just treat the symptom. We've got to treat the cause. Let's treat the malnourishment. Let's give people real food. So it, I, I think it, it all comes back around to getting the nutrition that we need. And those nutrients are so important for all those enzymes in our body, for metabolism in our body. And even back to the caller again and the diabetic is how about insulin is going to be you need good fat to make good hormones to do what they need to do. And you need those enzymes from minerals to support the hormones and everything that your body does. So think about this as pre-ice If we don't have enough minerals in our body, they're going to go to the places where we need to sustain life first, not live healthy, but to keep us alive. It's going to support our brain a little bit. It's going to support our heart a little bit. It's going to support our liver a little bit so that we can still think to go find food so that we're still pumping blood so that we can so we're alive and pumping oxygen to get get food or to our liver so we're detoxing some of the stuff that we're getting rid of. But we go to these basics and not optimal health when we drop our nutrition level so much. So I think very important is to get the get real foods, whether we're talking about, and this goes back to the word diet again, that I really dislike. Diet is what we consume, not changing. So there's a difference between our normal diet and a fad diet. And most people go on that fad diet to lose that five pounds, that 10 pounds. They want to drop weight, but change your lifestyle. Add in that physical activity with the food choices. And that's how you make the ultimate change is add in the nutrition so the body gets what it needs. And this is interesting that you, you, we can talk about this as even uh, like bacteria and viruses. As the simplest, some of the simplest life forms, they're, gonna, they're not trying to be malicious. They're trying to survive. They want to replicate. They want to reproduce. Same thing we want to do as humans. We want to survive well. And it's not just about surviving. It's surviving optimally. So this is where getting into like oh, RDIs and all of those things and how minimal they are, that's the amount to keep you from getting sick, not the amount to be healthy. So, I mean, so many little, I guess I just covered a whole ton of aspects. Yeah, yeah you did. So Good stuff, though. 
give you a chance to chime in. Yeah, well, no, I was going to say, I think we nailed the, the first two things to look for. One, I do want to go back. I have a feeling he has never tried to... Uh, uh, to verify his CGM with a blood stick. I always recommend um, when you put on a CGM, give it about 48 hours. They need to calibrate. So don't really pay too much attention to the readings in the first 24 to 48. They should stabilize. Once they do, I tell people you should every once in a while, you should verify your numbers with a blood stick. The, um, the, the CGM that I recommend, NutriSense, they actually allowed you to calibrate it. So you, you take a, you get your fasting reading off the CGM, then right then you do a fasting reading with a good, accurate, you know, finger stick, and then you can calibrate the meter so that it becomes more accurate. I still don't trust them. I, I don't think we're at a place where in a tech, that technology where they're that accurate. And if they're 10 points or 15 points off, his numbers would look significantly different. I mean, he seems to be peaking at 160. There, there's a little bit of a problem there. Part of the problem could be just an inaccurate reading. And the other part, I think you're right. We really have to start looking at what kind of low-carb food he's eating. And that's where, you know, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage on a short phone call like this. You start asking people what they ate. They're under pressure. They don't really remember correctly. I think we all want to make it sound better than it is. So uh, my recommendation to him is going to be to get into our uh, group coaching program so I can work through that with him, and I'm positive we'll figure it out. Yeah, definitely. I think there's so many aspects, and with a quick phone call, and this is, um, we often, or I've heard it referred to among the naturopathic community, we call it hallway medicine, Yeah. Um, or that phone call medicine, is there isn't enough time it's great when you have somebody that's a, you know, a medical professional or somebody like yourself that has a lot of knowledge about all types of, you know, diets and lifestyle choices. But that quick one question is not a quick one question. It's, I need to know, what have you eaten for the last week? Have you ever experienced these highs, these lows? What are you eating is what are you actually putting in your mouth? is to really understand the goals versus the carbs. Great, you're eating low carb. I mean, is that low chemical? Is that what specifically do you put in your body? And how about everybody is individualized? There is no perfect diet. Two people can eat exactly the same weight, weight and one will gain weight, one will lose weight. Two people eat the same foods. One will have an allergy, one will not have an allergy. So it's interesting. We are so different and individualized as human beings that it's really tough to do this. Um, everybody that writes a book that has their diet ideas is great. They're trying to reach the broadest spectrum of people, but there is no perfect diet for everybody. We have general ideas, like we talk about blue zones and where people live healthier, eating better, and like... Overall, generally speaking, a Mediterranean-type diet seems to be beneficial for most people. I don't say all people. Most people. is When we get into those hard, it, this is good for everybody, is I don't think there is such a thing. Is it good? Well, I guess there are a few things that are good for everybody. But there's everything can be both a poison and a cure, depending on the amount and how it's used. Um, you know, think about something like, uh, we'll talk homeopathy for a minute, is rust tox 
is poison ivy, is the Latin is rusticum toxicum, I believe it is. And that's poison ivy. We know that it causes rashes, so it's our body trying to fight. But in a homeopathic dosage, it can be very beneficial. So things that can be poisons, let's talk about water. Too much water can actually decrease your electrolytes. So how much water is this caller drinking? Are we flushing things out or are we getting too many electrolytes? Are we building things up? Are we building up toxins in the body? So we, it gets a lot deeper than some of these simple questions. And like it, the first thing that popped in my mind when he started talking was, what does low carb mean? And how do you define that? So is, does low carb mean you're eating vegetables? Does it mean that you're avoiding breads? What does low carb mean to each person? And I think it's, you know, it's, even, you know, we think about like McDonald's not being, I'm going to slam McDonald's for a minute, not being healthy, but even their healthy meal, let's say their salad, comes with this huge thing of dressing that is full of all kinds of chemicals and fat. So even their healthier meal is still not that healthy. What about now all the chemicals that were sprayed on that lettuce? I'm sure, I guarantee you it's not organic. So how about all those chemicals that were sprayed on it to keep it from browning so that they could store it in the free, in the fridge for longer periods of time? So, so many aspects to look into that simple case like this really isn't simple. There's so many extra questions and you can keep deep diving. And it's really, it's being a detective. It's being a nutrition detective. So it's finding out what they're actually getting and not getting and how deep, you know, how deep down the rabbit hole do we get into the diet and the lifestyle? Yeah. And, and that's, that's exactly why we, we just launched that group health coaching so that I have the opportunity to take a case like this. That's something's up here. We're not going to figure it out on a quick phone call. So um, we'll be able to dive into that. We're going to dive back into some phone calls I'm going to go to Michigan this time. Robert, welcome. Hello, Kevin. Good morning. What can we help you with today? I have a question about, have a question about uh, some of the content that I see on TikTok or Facebook. Ever since I've been listening to you, AI, uh, artificial intelligence, it'll, it'll start recommending things to me on these different platforms. And uh, I didn't know about some of the stuff that you see on there, like, um, you know, uh, there's a Barbara O'Neill. She's on TikTok. And, uh, she has cayenne pepper and some other things, hawthorn berries, and, and and I didn't know what you what you know I, what you thought about those kind of people on there. And uh, boy, that's a that's kind of a loaded question, but I'll I'll do the best I can. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Barbara O'Neill, directly, um, part of the problem is I would agree with about half of what she says. Uh, as far as children not needing, you know, 37 vaccinations before they're in kindergarten and that if they just ate real food, drank more water, um, ran outside, didn't we didn't hyper sanitize everything, that um, that would be a better way to go. On the other hand, I, I've also, if I'm remembering right, I think this isn't she Australian? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 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 she's Australian, and I believe they actually, um, she actually had to leave Australia because I, I don't know if he broke rules or something, and I think she lives in the United States now. Yeah, that that could be. And again, like I say, there's a lot of stuff I agree with. I've also seen her recommending like injecting baking soda to cure cancer. 
So there are definitely some things I would take huge issue with that that she makes claims on. And then there would be a bunch of stuff. I'd be right there with her and saying, absolutely, a kid should be outside playing in the dirt. They should be eating real food and drinking water. We shouldn't be hyper sanitizing everything. But she she definitely goes off the, the real deep end on a lot of stuff that I would not be able to support. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I kind of agree the same thing is there's a lot of people out there that aren't necessarily medical professionals on TikTok, on Facebook, on uh, Twitter, on all these things that are talking about all these things. And this is almost what we were just talking about a little bit is there is no perfect diet. There is no even those herbs that you mentioned, cayenne pepper is great for a lot of things, but there are some people that it's not really good for. Um, glyceriza. I love glyceriza. It's one of my favorite herbs is licorice and is great for a lot of things, great for digestion. But if you're taking it in the long term for a lot of conditions, it can actually cause heart issues. So depending on what the herb is, there's a lot of these people that make these big, broad, general statements, but it should be individualized. And this is where the health practitioner comes in or speaking with somebody or doing your own research even into not just taking what they say with a grain of salt. Um, but a good friend of mine used to say, trust, but verify. That's and I think that all the time is, especially with Barbara O'Neill, it's like, I love some of her stuff. Uh, Dr. Eric Berg is a chiropractor that does a lot of stuff too. And uh, Dr. Mercola even is there's a lot of these people that are making these big, broad statements, but I don't think you can take anything out there necessarily as a fact for everything for everyone but look a little bit deeper into it and do a little bit of your own research and like you're doing today is call into somebody that knows a little bit more than you do and get another opinion so that second opinion even when you're visiting a doctor's office getting the second opinion to see if they agree is always beneficial and, and I'll throw in one more thing, and it's certainly not foolproof. None of this stuff is. One of the first things all of us have to realize, all of us in the natural health community, all of us as human beings, I, I don't know that we're ever going to completely figure out the human body. It, it is a really, really complex organism, and there are so many variables because of our lifestyle that haven't existed in the past we keep changing our world with, with technologies and, and non-food items. And even if we thought we knew before, everything has changed and continues to change. So I think we all need to be a little humble and say, you know, this is the best we know right now. We've seen results from this. It works. But not to get so locked into our beliefs that we're not willing to change. Now, I could say that about, you know, injecting baking soda for cancer, but some things just get so far out there that you're going to have to show me an awful lot of evidence. And, and she's presented none for that uh, other than talking about acidic and alkaline and, and, you know, that doesn't explain enough to. So one of the things I always go back to, and again, this isn't foolproof either, but when I look at anything, I look at, well, how would that apply to a hunter-gatherer? Because as hunter-gatherers, we were healthy, virtually always healthy. There were very few diseases, um, and there were almost no lifestyle diseases. And 
I, I'm sure they weren't injecting baking soda to avoid cancer. So, you know, there, there's no easy answer to any of this. We have to do a lot of reading. We have to do a lot of research. We have to ask a lot of questions. And we also have to just be a little humble that we're not always going to get this right. Right. Yeah. My thing, I wasn't going to inject anything like that. Or, or uh, even when you get the one I seen years ago on, on YouTube or whatever was Gerson, I'm not doing enemas or, you know, uh, with the juice, but, uh, uh, I didn't know about some of the products that they, you know what I mean? Like the cayenne and, uh, I, I can't imagine that it wouldn't hurt as long as you take it in moderation. Uh, you know, well, I, I wouldn't say that it can't hurt. There are lots of compounds in healthy plants that aren't healthy for us. And I'll go back to what, what Dr. Griffin keeps highlighting here. Dose matters. Dose can really matter right. sometimes. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. So just to even to say, well, cayenne couldn't hurt me. I guarantee you there's a dose of cayenne that will hurt you. Right, right, right. That's what I, yeah, that's why I wanted to call you before I, you know, just to get an idea on, you know, Here, there's chemicals out there. I, yeah, and chemicals exist in plants, by the way. I mean, you know, I we use the word chemical, I think, to mean it came from a factory or a laboratory somewhere, but, but plants all have compounds, and lots of those compounds are not good for us. We talk about them all the time. You have to be careful you don't get too many oxalates right. in your diet. Phytates can be a problem. Lectins can be a problem. Those all come from plants, and they're dose-dependent. Yeah. yeah, that's what I meant, was the chemicals like in plants that uh, necessarily a little bit. It was, goes a long, long way, and uh, you it, take too much, you, you, you'll hurt yourself. Well, the other thing to, to be aware of, and Dr. Griffin, I think you touched on this too, the plants we're eating today are not the same plants that existed 10,000 or 100,000 years ago. And the chemicals that are in many of these plants, if you're not eating organic, and even sometimes organic isn't enough, lots and lots of plants today are loaded with glyphosate. Yes, that's definitely true. Is the, and the, the phytochemicals that you're referring to, is yeah, there are beneficial ones. And some of the chemicals that plants make are meant to keep animals from eating them. So that's, you know, there are plants out there, there are chemicals that the plants are making that are detrimental even to our health. Think about poison ivy that I mentioned earlier. It's trying to protect itself. It wants to grow, it wants to replicate, and it causes this reaction because it wants you to stay away from it so that it can keep going. Um, to jump back into the cayenne pepper, I, you know, there's so many benefits to cayenne pepper. From, you know, it can actually support peristalsis. It can actually help rebuild the stomach lining, um, stimulating digestion. Uh, there's a billion things that it can do, but is it good for everyone? And that's where, you know, kind of I was referring back to that individualized and how important it is to do a little bit more research. It's great to get the idea from somebody like Barbara O'Neill, but now do a little more research. It's not going to be perfect for everyone. Does that help? All right. Anything else? Uh, no, I think that's it. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Pennsylvania for this call. Mark, welcome. Hey, good morning. Hey, good morning, y'all. Uh, so a week ago, uh, after Nastic, I went to the uh, went out to California to grow up in some of the mountains, uh, White Mountains specifically, which is across from the Sierras and in the Bishop area. 
So I, I get Sunday evening to the, the trail uh, trailhead. It's like 11,400 and something feet up. And I, I slept in the back of a, a forerunner, which is not exactly comfortable because it won't go completely flat. And the sleep was horrible. And I got up the next morning, Monday morning, and it was 28 degrees and the wind was just ripping. So, you know, motivation was like something you struggled for. Well, I, I put on three layers of clothes and uh, merino wool and whatnot. To the, to the summit of White Mountain Peak was seven and a half miles each way, so 15 miles round trip. So I sat there for a bit, so I decided, well, I'm here. I might as well go and attempt, attempt this to see what I can do. I made it four and a half miles in, and you could see that it was another three miles to the summit, but my legs did not feel good the whole way. And then when I got about 12,900 feet, the wind was just so much that I was like, and it was, it was, it was a road. And there's a road all the way basically on the summit because there's the California Research University Research Station along the way. I turned around and came back, and I did it in a pretty good amount of time. But when I got back, I looked at my body battery, and I began the day at a two. So, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, a two. No, I know. <laughs> Yeah, that's bad. The next, the next, the next day, I, I mean, I sat around and tried to go to bed at a reasonable time. Couldn't really fall asleep, but I got up the next day. Tuesday, and the guy I know out there, he was like, "We well, need to go to Death Valley and go here and there." I got up, and I was a one. I mean, a one. And so he's like, "I'm not doing anything today," and I really didn't except laundry. And uh, and I can tell you the funny thing about the body battery is, yesterday I woke up, slept in the truck. Got up at Pittsburgh Power. I was in the green. Today, after sleeping in the hotel, I woke up and I'm in the red. I, I, I mean, I didn't. Have, I mean, I woke up last night at a point where I didn't sleep well or whatever, and apparently that has something to do with it. Oh, it's a so, huge part of it. it so it can, be, it, it can be all over the place. It, it can be one of the things that correlates absolutely with your body battery. And Dr. Griffin, I'll. I'll kind of catch up to speed on this um we're talking about some readings we get from our garmin watch and uh i worked pretty okay. closely with with garmin we developed a watch for truck drivers specifically it's called the garmin diesel and it, it uses some of the same features as their regular watches and then there's some new stuff in there but um when i was i need i need to correct something okay I need to correct something. I was talking about the readiness level, not the body. Battery. Oh, okay. So. That that's that's a new one, and I am still working on interpreting that one. In fact, I've got a, a meeting with Garmin because I want him to explain a couple things about. It. So I'm not going to talk about that. Tell me what your body battery was, then, not your readiness level. Okay. Uh, so body battery was like today. Today it was. I woke up today. Uh, Charge twenty one. I drained. It's a seventeen. I I charged okay. twenty one. Was down. Yeah. Uh, down, so, down nine. So and it was so, it was basically it was in the toilet all of the it's been in the toilet up and down all week. The right. highest it ever that, got was about fifty two days, and that was Sunday and Tuesday. So okay. Now that um that those are the readings I look at. I, I look at HRV, stress level, and body battery. I am trying to understand the the training readiness and like i said i need to get some more info from them um dr griffin the 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 watch uses hrv heart rate sleep several other things to 
Um, well, HRV is a real reading, so it, it's one of the most important I watch. And when my HRV bottomed out was the same day I got sick. Um, stress is what will cause your HRV to go lower, and stress is what causes your H or your body battery to tank. The the body battery, Doctor Griffin, it's a reading from zero to a hundred, and it tells you how much energy you have at the moment, and it's based on these other readings to get to this body battery. When if I'm at a hundred, man, I am ready to take on the world. Uh, at fifty, I can still function right. really, really well. I just may not last as long that day. When I get down under twenty-five, honestly, I should just take the day off, and I don't. And I, I pushed it from twenty-five down to basically zero, and it stayed there for several days. And then I got sick. Um, but these readings. Oh, Mark, go ahead, Mark. I was going to say so Monday on the sixth. I'm looking at it. That day I, I started that hike, I was at a six, and it dropped to a five. five it won't go low no. than five. Yes. Yeah, so I, I started at a six. So here would have been my recommendation. You shouldn't have climbed. I mean, that's the whole point of having these readings. If you start off the day yeah. that low, which is what I did, you will never recover. And I tried. I tried all the stress yeah. protocols. I tried the Wim Hof breathing. I was taking cold showers. Um the X3 bar will actually make this worse, so I skipped the X3 bar completely. I was doing infrared therapy, but nothing would help me recover because I wasn't stopping how hard I was pushing. And that's what you did. You, you pushed yourself hard on a day where you were already at, at the bottom of those readings. And what you will do is you will push, push your recovery time out for two or three more days sometimes if you're not careful. Yeah, and it was, I mean, I was at altitude, too. I was up, to, I started at 11,400 feet, got to 12,900 feet, and in the mountain, I was going to a 14, 243. And, I mean, I got to a point when the wind was so bad, and I was just like, I looked at that three miles to go, and I was just like, I'm done. I, I've turned around and, and yeah, you, went out. You should have been done before you started. But, true, yeah. But, you know, I went out figured I came that far. I wanted to go see some of the views, so. Yeah. So, Mark, yeah. where do you, you live in Pennsylvania? What elevation are you at normally? No, I, I don't live in Pennsylvania. I live in the oh. Houston area. I live, at, I live at sea level. Okay. Well, that's the answer that I wanted was you live at sea level. So, already, if you are, how long were you in California before you did this trip? Uh, okay. I, and I, I have, okay. like, a, a month and a half ago, like, in the middle of September, I spent three days at altitude because I climbed Mount Whitney. And I don't get altitude sickness for whatever reason. I, I just, I just don't get it. But I mean, I think the fact that I slept at a higher, I tried to sleep in a horrible, you know, vehicle with, you know, very uncomfortable had a lot to do with it. So, yeah, well, I think there's a bunch of different factors in this. One thing is the elevation and not necessarily elevation sickness, but it's your body's oxygen carrying capacity is going to be decreased. If you normally are at Houston at sea level, and going up to that 10,000, 11,000 feet for that 14,000 uh, feet is you are going to have a decreased oxygen carrying capacity. It takes weeks, if not months. Um, when the military moves somebody from one base to another and they go up in elevation, they wait at least three months in between doing uh, PE checks and seeing how their physical endurance is 
because it takes as much as a month or two months to really equalize with a transition from that. Um, I, I used to live in Arizona and going from Phoenix, Arizona up to property that I owned, I went from 1,500 feet above left, like 1,500 feet up to about 7,000 feet. And I couldn't believe, like, I drove from Phoenix up to Flagstaff, and I was exhausted. I hopped out of the car and tried doing things, and I couldn't. And I didn't even think about it. But even a small elevation like that and not giving that body time to adjust that oxygen-carrying capacity, even one night, two nights, three nights, you don't necessarily recover. You mentioned now also then going into a hotel and still even starting out at a lower level. Depending on where the hotels are, if you're in uh, in Texas, I guess you're going to be maybe more dry air to a moister yeah. air and even the humidity mold in a hotel. So depending on the age of the hotel, mold is pretty common in hotels. So um, I, there's a lot of, again, confounding variables here between the oxygen levels and the elevation. And then, again, you said you felt not so well in the hotel. Um, and then again, well, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't recover. Well, the reason I slept in the vehicle was because uh, I'm going, I went 30 miles, I went probably 40 miles off the main road to the trailhead, which 15 miles, 18 miles was on a gravel mountain road. So to get to this trailhead was so remote. I mean, I had a can of fix the flat. I made sure the vehicle had a, a spare, a jack, and all that because of how remote it was. And uh, I mean, I have a Garmin inReach too, in case something happens, I can I can call for help. But uh, it, it was just you know this this is not known as an extremely hard mountain to climb. It's just you know I mean you start at a higher altitude in the White Mountains versus cross over to hey, the Sierras. Hey, now Mark, you're talking about Mark. The, throw out all the how difficult. Go ahead. Yeah, throw away all the thoughts about how difficult or easy something might have been, and just look at the facts. You were you were heavily stressed. You weren't sleeping well, and you pushed your body too far. For me, that you're talking about a mountain yeah. and saying it wasn't that big of a deal to climb that particular mountain. All it took for me was to go to a couple events, which I've been doing all the time. But I did the same thing. I pushed yeah. my body past its limit. At that point, almost anything I would have done that day would have put me over the top. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know. You can't, I, I will promise you this. You, you, you can't start from a five-body battery and plan on climbing a mountain that day and, and hope for a good outcome. It's not going to happen. I, I didn't even look at the body battery. I, I didn't even look at that because I knew I felt, I knew that I felt not 100%. So I didn't even look at that. I just like, okay, I'm going to go out, you know, see what I can do. And I mainly, I, I kind of knew I wasn't going to make it when I started the day, but how it felt. So, but I, I wanted to go and like, you know, get some of the scenery and I mean, it came that far. So I wanted to go and get a little, so I made, I made it nine miles, four and a half in, four and a half out. And he was talking about Flagstaff a year ago. I climbed Humphreys Peak, which is the highest point oh, oh. in Arizona. Yep, the San Francisco, and, yeah, the San Francisco Peak there. Yeah. And that was the. Uh, that was an interesting climb because of the way so, it started out. I mean, it goes to 12,600 feet. So I, I promise you this. Go back, to, go back to any of those climbs and start those with a nice high body battery, and you will see significantly different outcomes. Uh, I've worked with these numbers enough to know 
they're accurate. There, there are a few days where I can get away with pushing it when all those numbers are low, but not to those kind of levels. You will suffer for it. Let's, um, let's go to North Carolina. Terrence, good morning. Hey, what's up? What's up, Kev? Uh, I got a question about the copper and the silver. If the doctor is, is, is that good for someone that's doing chemo? Uh, with chemo, yeah, I would say um, this is a kind of an interesting discussion to have, too. And a lot of cancer doctors, a lot of oncologists will say to stay away from copper and copper supplements when, you're due, when you are, have a cancer diagnosis because cancer actually can support angiogenesis, which is the formation of new vessels, which is what cancer is trying to do. Now, silver, on the other hand, actually has shown some anti-neoplastic benefits, so it can actually slow down the spread of the abnormal cells. So depending on the type of you know, chemo we're talking about, is it going to affect the chemo? No. Um, so silver will not affect the chemo um, because it, uh, it does, it, it's a phase two liver detoxification and very beneficial for all types of things and supporting the immune system. So I believe that silver, while getting a chemotherapy, is supportive to that um, versus the copper where this is where it gets a little bit, bit trickier because of this angiogenesis factor. So, But silver definitely used with a chemotherapy. Copper, this is going to be one that would have to be dependent on which what we're talking about, the type of cancer and what we're working with. Yeah, it's with small, small cells, so it's, and it's lung cancer, but the doctor did, it's my fiance, the doctor did, when we were there last two weeks, it was in last week, I think I forget, they just running into each other. Um, he did you know, recommend, like, right, you know, immune system, because the first thing I asked was about diet. So, you know, what kind of diet? Well, you, he, and he misunderstood me. He's like, well, oh, you, you know, you should stay away from, you know, green leaf, you know, all the typical stuff, any kind of stuff with bacteria. And I said, that's not what I'm asking, I'm saying, you know, is there a better diet to eat versus like meat or whatever? And they said, oh, you know, it, it just, you know, you want to be nutrients. And then he said, you're going to want to be taking, uh, they're going to prescribe a vitamin D for her and all this. And the first thing I said, Kevin, you know, is why I use, you know, uh, by the, the bio emulsion and fat. And he said, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll prescribe something, you know, so I was like, whatever, you know, I'm going to listen. I got, basically you have to let him stay his feet and then you know and i got to just what you know what you can use you know what, what's the best thing i just is more concerned because i well, well i haven't been doing the copper and the silver but um i just wanted to see i mean the biggest thing is going to be her immune system i i, I know that you know yeah you know the the, yeah. the one Over positive amazing. the one positive thing that he did say at least he mentioned nutrients i don't hear doctors even mention that word very yeah. often so uh, you know, him and I may disagree on, on where we would get our best nutrients from, but he's on the right track, at least. So, yeah. Okay, well, I'm listening. I can hear what he was trying to get at. I a little bit. I just wanted to make sure, you know, kids can go and start the, the Monday after Thanksgiving. So, that's, I mean, that's the second dose, I should say. But now he, yeah, this, is the, this is the doctor that did the first dose. So, you know, I just, like I said, I just got to, Wanted to find out what the immune system was that was going to have any effect on the chemo. Yeah, uh, the silver won't have any effect on the chemo, and silver is going to support the immune system, the normal white blood cells, and the response. It's going to actually protect a little bit, 
And um, the white so blood. It, okay. Yeah, it supports the white blood cells. So even in a if you're talking about small cell lungs, then yeah, it's going to support the white blood cells. So it's going to stop from any opportunistic infection because a lot of time the chemo is actually going to wear down your immune system. So right. You want yeah. Yep. Yep. Support that immune system. So using right. it prophylactically as immune support would be how I'd do it. And because we're talking about a lung, um, consider nebulizing. So putting a, a teaspoon into a nebulizer, doing it to get it to the point of foci to get it directly to the lungs. Oh, okay. Or that lung tissue can be beneficial. And that'll actually prevent, uh, one of the things, uh, pneumonia is common with chemo and especially with lung issues because now we got a weakness in the lungs. So supporting the white blood cells and supporting the lung health, very important. So, um, and I, I think I said it last time I was on, is like a nasal spray. We talk about washing our hands, but why don't we wash our noses? So a nasal spray to clean the sinuses too, and then adding in that nebulizing of it to get it into the lungs the best that you can. Do you guys have the nasal spray in the store? I, well, you're asking me questions about the store. I think so. But I'll find out for sure. I'm almost positive. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm almost positive. I, I think so, okay. yeah. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. I'll let someone else get in there. Thank you, doctor. Thanks for your info. You're welcome. You have a good one. All right. Thanks for the call, Terrence. We'll talk to you soon. Let's go. Uh, oh, I better check in with you, uh, Dr. Griffith. I can't believe we just went past the hour mark. want to make sure you're still okay. Yeah, I'm still good. Yeah. we can. Uh, I feel like every time we talk, it just flies by. And before I know it, it's over an hour and it's like wait i could i'm not done i could be going <laughs> i know we have some more calls so let's tag anytime you need to to jump out of here let, let me know sarah welcome yes i am calling to do with a recommendation i sent you last week but i know you're really busy um, it's called pandora's lab seven stories of science gone wrong it is a very interesting listen um, for, for a shift. And the chapter I want to talk about um, talks about vitamins and line of cooling and how he did experiments with. He was, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. He was um, not in, in that field of science, he was in a field. Got a Nobel Prize, talked to somebody, some other guys who didn't have any experience who thought that it would be great to do high doses of vitamin C. And Linus Pauling went with this stuff based on this other guy's um, research. But the, the premise that the author brings up is our body creates or gets antioxidants from food. Processing food creates um, uh, free radicals, and the antioxidants kind of knock them down. They can also kill some cancer cells. If you go too far in the balance of antioxidants versus oxidants, like taking antioxidant vitamins, eating as much antioxidant food as you can, it's like a current craze right now. Get all the anti. There's even lotions and face serums with antioxidants in them. It can upset the balance, and there then there become there's too much um, too many antioxidants in the body, and it's oxidation 
that helps to fight some cancer. And so this may be part of the dramatic rise in cancer these days is all of the, the proliferation and focus on antioxidants. Basically, every something and says this is what it was meant to make things better and here's all the unforeseen consequences of that they also discuss okay so it sounds like a good book i need to move that one up my list um dr o-f-f-i-t-m-d and i did share it in healthy tribe for anyone else who can still hear me and wants to check it out uh, I'd like to see me and you right now. I think now we're, we're, oh, there we're, he is. We're, we're all back. Um, another one okay. of my faux pas on my end. Um, so I don't know what I missed there, but before I forget this thought, Dr. Griffin, I wanted to, to run something by you here. When, it, when I'm thinking about okay, this sure. and what it all means, and, you know, you look at a lot of these antioxidant foods and like the superfoods. The, the things they call superfoods always seem to be some rare food that only grows up in the Andes Mountains or something. And I think, well, most hunter-gatherers never had access to all of these so-called superfoods. So are they really right. all that super? That's my first thought. And, and is it possible that you could get too many of those and there are too many antioxidants? And then I think about, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't the most common antioxidant in a true hunter-gatherer's life? Wouldn't it just be grounding? I would agree with you there. Is, is Grounding can be amazing for so many things, but I would say, actually, I'm going to lead into SOD. Superoxide dismutase is the most powerful antioxidant that our body makes, and that's a, funny enough, it's a zinc-copper-dependent enzyme. So is to make this SOD, and I kind of leading back is I want something I mentioned earlier is everything can be both a poison and a cure. And it's really about balance. So when we do go overboard with this, ox, you know, all of these antioxidants. Yeah, there's a lot that we don't get, but it's really about balance because the redox reaction gets into the chemistry of what the body does. And um, she mentioned Linus Pauling is he was a chemist first. And the body is chemistry, and it's a reduction oxidation is what they call the re redox reaction. But oxidative damage is caused by the processing of foods. By normal life is oxidation, and by reducing that oxidative damage with the so, antioxidants is how we get back to balance. So I, well, I would say that, yeah, you could definitely overdo antioxidants. So let me, and then I'm thinking of this. If grounding is antioxidative, if that's the if that's even a word, uh, isn't isn't grounding self-regulating? You can't possibly overdo it. Grounding, I think more about. I would think about just uh, ions in the body. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be an antioxidative process, but the grounding is going to help with neutralizing ions in the body. Free radicals. Yeah, mm -hmm. because they're missing a charge and the earth gives them a charge. So they're no longer damaging in a free radical. And that process is is completely self-regulating. That actually makes a lot of sense. I'm going to have to do a little research on that. That might too. I think that sounds amazing. Huh. Yeah. So earth, earth thing and 
Yeah, I was going to say, I just thought about this whole concept by the author of this book saying that uh, you can go too far with this was an interesting concept to look into further. Yeah. And that over antioxidizing because there needs, again, there needs to be a balance. Yeah, I was going to throw in one more. Dr. Griffin, I don't want you and I to go down this road right now because we'd be here for two more days, but how many things could we talk about in the body that are absolute balance? It's not, you can't just say, well, this is good, you need more. Almost everything in our body seems to be about Good health seems to be about homeostasis, which which is really maintaining a balance of everything. Exactly, and that's, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, let's jump into some of the of the Eastern philosophies. So Ayurveda and Oriental medicine is, is I mean, it's where we get the concept of the yin and yang from. Is Oriental yeah. medicine, and it's about balance. It's not that there is a good and a bad that yin or yang is necessarily good or bad. It's all about that balance. And this is all of our body systems. We don't want to be too hot or too cold. We like everything in the middle. We don't want to be too acidic or too alkali. We want to be in the middle. We don't want hyperthyroid, hypothyroid. We want euthyroid. We want normal thyroid in the middle. So really, it is about balance. And so oxidation, antioxidation, we want this balance. So I, I, I definitely think you could over-antioxidant. So, yeah, it, it, it really comes down to balance. And if I, keep, I keep saying I'm going to write a book, and one of these days I'm actually going to write it all down. But um, I want to call it Simplify, and I want to get to the ABCs. And my B in my book is balance. Everything health-related comes back to balance. Well, and finding that, let's call it the Goldilocks zone is just right, right in the middle, where it's not detrimental, and it's not, detrimental can be too much or too little, but you want to be just right in the middle and reach that balance. And that's why we talk about even like blood work, when we talk about, you know, what's a normal level or within normal limits when we talk about that is we're looking for that Goldilocks zone right in the middle, and that's where it's beneficial for most people. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. And I think we could go on and on about this and balance all day long, I think. Anything else? To- yeah, I did put that, go ahead. That book up on Healthy Tribe is um, called Pandora's Lab by Paul A. Offit. O-S-S-I-T. And it is about eight hours long. I may even... Uh, I- well, thank you. I may even lay around in bed today and read that. I still need a day of recovery. Um, <laughs> I, I pulled it up on my computer while we were talking. So. Yeah, that uh, sounds like a very interesting book. Let's uh, let's go to California. Brandy, welcome. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, I wanted to talk to Dr. Griffin. Um, I have uh, the, the the copper and I have the silver spray. I haven't started using the silver spray. I'm adding the copper on a tablespoon to Cardio Miracle. This is all regards to toenail fungus. Wanted to see, and I have the topical, but I don't. I listened to yesterday an infomercial, probably 10 minutes long, about toenail fungus, where it starts and how bad it can get. And um, I bought the products 
to hopefully help me in that direction other than what I bought on this infomercial yesterday. So I just wanted to see how your products will work for this or not. Uh, if we're talking about a whole fungus, um, I always think internally and externally treatment. So copper yes. traditionally has been, has been very antifungal. So doing copper internally at that one to three tablespoon dosage is going to support internal. But I would also use the silver as the fine mist spray. And I've heard anecdotal evidence from people that they sprayed um, the fine mist onto a toe fungus and cleared it up pretty quickly. And they swore by it that the silver awesome. being the an antifungal properties of the silver. And part of this is silver has an affinity for sulfur. So sulfur is what makes up the walls of most fungus. So silver actually binds the sulfur compounds and rips apart the walls, which now kills off the fungus. So definitely, I would use the copper internally and then the silver superficially, so spraying it onto the toes. So, Dr. Griffin, I... I, I would certainly agree with that. I just want to clarify as well. Um, I think you would probably believe that if we only use the silver externally, we might get rid of it, but it would probably come back because that's not the real root cause, correct? Exactly. So that's what I would, my next, that would be the next thing is you'd, treating it superficially, you're going to get rid of it superficially, but where did it come from? So is you probably have some type of internal fungal infection as well that is coming out and manifesting that way. So reducing sugar, uh, take away what the fungus eats, and fungus loves sugar. So And this and is where add the anti-candidal type diets. Yep, add the copper. Internal. Anti-candidal type diet. Can you put that in the Cardio Miracle in three tablespoons? Whipping it around in your mouth, it's like, it's just not appealing. So I, 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 the, the reason for swishing it around, Dr. Griffin, is because we actually absorb it through the membranes in our mouth, right? Exactly. That's it. It's the mucosal associated lymph tissue in your mouth. Because of the size of the particles and you're getting it into the lymph system, which now takes it systemically. So that's the reason for swishing it in your mouth and swishing it alone, even if it isn't the most, you know, some people don't taste it. Um, people that tend to be more acidic tend to taste it a little bit more. So if your body is slightly acidic, you get more of a taste. And I've noticed that talking to many different people. Like, I don't taste the silver, but I taste a little bit of the copper. But that whiffing in your mouth, getting that oral absorption, that mucosal associated lymph tissue, and the capillary bed underneath your tongue is where the vessels are closest to the surface. So you're going to get some absorption directly into the bloodstream, but the rest into the lymph and very quickly, because of the size of the particles, you get that absorption. So it can be super beneficial, that swishing and doing it alone, but chase it with something if you don't like the taste of it. That's true. Okay. Very good information. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. Um, the We're on to our last call, so we will get to that right now. Let's go to Nebraska. Grant, welcome. Uh, I'm having some voice troubles myself today, so pardon my cough. All right. Um, I had a, a couple of, I've been meaning to call in. Uh, I'm a local driver, so it's in the truck, out of the truck. Uh, a couple of recipes. I found a group. 
it, it was on Facebook. It was somehow suggested to me. Um, it's meals she eats. Uh, a guy was, and his husband, or sorry, a man and his wife were trying to get pregnant, and she wasn't having any luck. And he just decided to do some research and start a secret Instagram account to track what he cooked for. And he only made real food that uh, is supposed to help with hormones and everything. And he didn't tell her that he was doing this. He just was cooking stuff. And then it ended. It was kind of a cool story that they kept track of what worked and all that stuff. So without getting too crazy on details, I can tell you what works almost every time with this. Um, and, and we've dealt with this a lot. We've seen success stories. This is always one of the most rewarding things you can do is help a couple get pregnant when they've been struggling and doctors aren't helping them. Yeah, I don't think you have to go to anything more than just a real food diet. Doesn't necessarily need to yeah. be. Now, we could get more personal if somebody is way overweight and their hormones are all out of whack. We might need to do a little more intensive. But for the most part, um, just real food like a paleo diet will almost always um, turn this around. Dr. Griffin, has that been your experience? Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Is Almost anything, and back to that, you know, talking about diets again, too, is if you just eat real food is very important. And uh, literally, um, I tell people this now, and I, I saw it somewhere else. I can't remember where I first heard it, but I've always heard cut the crap. C-R-A-P is carbonated, carbonated beverages. R is refined foods. A is artificial. And P is processed. Yeah. If you can cut the crap out, use that acronym, you can... You can fix almost anything just by getting back to nutrition and eating real foods. Now, as far as the hormonal balance, there are foods that are, you know, there are phytoestrogens and things that support estrogens and progesterones. That gets into a little bit more detail. But just overall, in general, is eat healthy, you know, eat real food. And I, I tend to lean towards a paleo-type diet and kind of hunter-gatherer. Think about what our ancestors ate. 90% of the foods on shelves today didn't exist 50 years ago. So it's just mind-blowing, all these things that we've created, but we've also created this disease state. And so how do we get away from the disease state? Go back to eating real food. Go back to what our ancestors ate. You know, I, I would almost say, too, for, for people who experience this, having a hard time getting pregnant, I, I think it's a, a sign for both people that it's like the canary in the coal mine. You may think you're healthy. These yeah. people may not have huge, you know, health problems. They may not be diabetic yet. They may not have high blood pressure. They may think they're fairly healthy, so they wouldn't think about their diet. But creating another human life is a really, really difficult thing. And to do it properly takes optimal health. And, and so sometimes... This is this is one of the first signs that health is starting to fail, right? And they they uh, they had success, and I I found this one evening, and so then of course I just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and uh, they ended up they missed it all started because they missed home cooked foods when they went to the a college, and that's where they met, and so they started cooking meals for college students, and it started at like five five students. And then the students are like, can we have leftovers? 
and it grow, it's grown into I think like once a month they like 400 students and they get donations from farmers and everybody awesome. in the area and it's it's a it was, it was that's an amazing thing to read for some evening. Yeah, it sure. Is. Yeah, that's an amazing program. I, that's incredible. I can't. Yeah, I think everybody should be doing this. Is let's go back to eating real food and growing our own gardens. So important. Uh, talking, jumping into fertility there for a minute and helping people get pregnant. Um, literally today, I just got an article from Mercola talking about um, the mean sperm count in men has dropped over 51.6 over the last 50 years because of EMF. So talking about that is how much is our exposure to electromagnetic fields now damaging our fertility? That is my... Now we've got... EMFs are my next big project. Yep. And I need to delve more into that and learn more about it. But I've known about people that are EMF sensitive. And But think about if we're carrying our phone on us, where is it? It's in our back pocket or our front pocket, close close to our ovaries and testicles. And how is that impacting our fertility health? When when you're studying EMF, remember wireless microphones also emit magnetic fields. So when you're doing your speaking engagements... I, yeah. I um, you know, it's uh, that's an interesting point, and one of the things I've got to figure out while I do all this is how do we balance the benefits of some technology? I I don't want to be, you know, I don't mind eating like a caveman. Yeah. I'm not sure that I'm gonna ever quite live like one because, look, I I have to say when I'm when I'm on the stage, it's Sometimes it's a long time, but the, the last couple of events, I'm on the stage for maybe an hour at a time. Um, it would, I could use a wired mic. The problem is, I can promise you I've tried, the, the quality and the impact of my presentation will go down. I can't stand in oh, one yeah. place at a lectern and speak. With the cord yeah, and you I, get stuck on things. I, if you walk around, it's, it's a lanyard. It's a leash. It, it, I, yeah, I yep. want I wander the whole time because I'm usually talking to big rooms where you don't want to be in one spot. I go from one end of the stage to the other so I can connect with different parts of the audience. So for me, those will be probably some of the things where I just have to have a compromise. But I, it, but here's the thing. Yeah. If, I, if I really work hard once I figure this all out to minimize those things, to find shields that can maybe help cut down some of the exposure, to only do it when it when there really is a benefit to doing it. Um, I have stopped wearing wireless headsets completely, and I used to love wireless headsets. But you know what? It's not that hard to plug a wire into my phone instead for a headset, and it doesn't really compromise much. So, so in those cases, I've already gone back. Um, the wireless mic, I, I doubt that I would ever give that up because it would really impact how I present it in a bad way. As, as long as you don't mind the look, just stick it to the top of your head on a hat and just put a flashing light on it like a radio tower. <laughs> and then it won't be to the rest of your body. It'll just be ab- above you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Mic can work best, line of sight. Yeah. It's, yep. it's, well, another Another thing to mention is think about all those smartwatches that are receiving. And you know, we talked about Garmin with so, the uh, with last callers and you working with Garmin a little bit is 
what can, what's the EMF impact from all of these smartwatches and the Garmin devices that people are wearing as well? So we actually recommend when you wear the Garmin watch to turn off the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi on the watch. It can still collect all of the body data it needs to. It will only transmit it when you sync. So I got into the habit of taking my watch off in the morning, setting it somewhere next to my phone, hitting sync and walking away. And then when I put my watch back on, I turn that feature back off. Nice. And your battery will last longer. Yeah. And think about like airplane mode with your phone when you're not actually using it or expecting yes. something but in the airplane mode. So it's not sending or, receiving signals all the time. Or just get it out of your pocket and go put it someplace else. Right. Definitely. Um, but another, again, I, I haven't, I, I, oh, go ahead. Again, I'm not ready to live in a cave either, but uh, definitely eating like a caveman and living like a caveman are two different things there. So eating like a caveman, I agree with. Living without technology can be a little bit tough. I do like some modern conveniences. Yeah, so I, the, the point of my research isn't to say, you know, we're all going to get rid of our devices and, and go back to using a pencil and a tablet and a rotary dial phone. It's to say these things are here. None of us have thought about this, so we, we don't try to minimize this at all. And the research will be to, to come up with techniques and strategies and products to, to at least minimize the impact this is going to have on us. Well, that's yeah. all the unintended consequences. Yeah. Um, I, I've paid for the Healthy Tribe and Trucking Tribe subscription for a couple years now. Finally logged on instead of just <laughs> paying for it and supporting you and listening. Um, and I, last night I was like, oh, there's a recipe thing. And I didn't really dig around too much. Uh, so the, the features are in there. Just, you can tell me to stop. There's a, I found an app several years ago, uh, it's called plan to eat. And it's, a, a recipe book slash shopping list slash what do you have in the pantry and the freezer and meal planning. And the part I use it to collect recipes because like now with computers, you can see a pot, an ad or an email or something for some recipe you like. You're like, oh, that's cool. And then you're like, well, now where was that? How do I how do I find that? Right. And they have the option. You can manually enter your grandma's secret recipe. You can just take a picture of it and it'll automatically pull all the data out. Or you can give it a web address and it'll pull the picture associated with the web of the food or whatever it'll pull the prep time the cook time the quantities the ingredients um if you have it in your pantry list and you make a shopping list it won't tell you to go buy two cups of whatever 18 times depending on what you right so have so let me address let me, let me address this before you go too much further um the whole world of recipes meal plans, nutrition apps. There's already a ton of them that do what you say. Um, we're not trying to recreate the wheel. There's some good stuff out there, but it is all changing rapidly because of AI. This is one of the areas that AI shines. Man, you can go to AI and just say, give me a whole food carnivore recipe and list a couple things that you have in your pantry and it will come up with killer recipes and tell you all the nutrition in a matter of seconds. So most of these giant databases of 
meals and recipes and meal plans are almost obsolete already. That whole world is being taken over by AI. Wow. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty powerful. Um, I have a question about the, excuse me, the health master group. Sure. Uh, I have a two, I have a two year old boy. Um, he was a little bit preemie five weeks, nothing like his older sister. She was 10 weeks preemie, but she's fine. Um, he has been diagnosed according to modern medicine, if you want to call it that EOE, which I don't remember what it stands for, but it's from what I understand, it's an, like an allergic reaction of your esophagus to foods. And so we've done some elimination diet. Um, I'm a little bit of a, I'm six, six. I've been 200 pounds for 20 years. So my wife kind of thinks I'm a hypocrite because I don't necessarily follow everything that I listen to and talk about with the tribe. Nobody does. Uh, and she's like, well, what? So I suggested, well, instead of giving him pea protein to get protein, I was like, why don't we just give him protein? Yeah. Well, so what do we drink instead of apple juice? Oh, yeah. So how about water? For about a gazillion years, yeah. the only liquid the human body required was water. So I don't know why we get so crazy about what we should drink. If you want to eliminate any issues with what you're drinking, simply drink good, clean water and nothing else and plenty of it. Yeah, I, I love water. I, I, yeah. So, but let, let's let's put apple juice there for a minute. <laughs> apple juice has a a same equivalent amount of apple juice and Coca Cola. Apple juice has more sugar in it. Oh yeah, which is insane. That's just insane. Esophagitis. Yeah, eosinophilic esophagitis is what you're talking about, EOE. And it's like inflammation of the esophagus. So what's happening is sugar causes inflammation. So if the kid's drinking apple juice, you're causing inflammation. Go back to water. Is take away the obstacle to cure inflammation. How do you decrease inflammation? Take away the cause. Um, You're throwing copper. Copper is great as a systemic anti-inflammatory. Um, All right. Reduce and think about other anti-inflammatories. Um, think of curcumin is amazing. And Let's, one of my my biggest hurdles is my wife went to she went to school to be a medical lab tech. So she she's open-minded, but well, let's uh, let, let's ask hey. a couple questions here. So, how old is the child now? Two. Two. Um, cesarean or natural birth? I'll pay you if it's uh, cesarean. Okay. There's a huge problem. The the child has a compromised immune system already from the cesarean. Do you know, did did they do anything during the delivery to mitigate that at all? What I mean is there's procedures now where they... They actually take a vaginal swipe and inoculate the baby with it. There's some hospitals at least doing that. Was there anything like that done? I don't think so, but I do know my wife was vaccinated. Okay, we won't even go down that road yet. Yeah, we won't yeah. even go down that road yet because there's too much about that we don't know. I certainly have my opinions. But now, um, bo- yeah. bottle fed or breastfed? Uh, breast as much as possible until he started reacting to even my wife's dairy. Um, well, not dairy, breast milk. 
Um, it was, he was starting to spit up uh, a lot. And so then we were trying different formulas and all, all kinds of things. And we accelerated them onto blended foods faster to get away from all dairy, including, and my wife went dairy-free to see if that would help. Um, and it reduced the vomiting drastically. And then that's how they got to the EOE diagnosis. Well, the, the, the vomiting contributed to the EOE. Um, so there, there's, there's lots of signs here that we shouldn't be surprised this, this child's struggling with things. Um, when you say you move yeah. to blended foods, what kind of blended foods? Go get, there was just fruits and vegetables from the grocery store. So, um, so you know, my uh, I, 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 I love the fact that I get some farmers market stuff, but I, not I, necessarily the best. Well, I love the fact that my grandsons were were raised from day one on a very healthy, real food diet, and my son made all of their baby food from scratch. I will tell you what the food's base mm-hmm. was. Everything that he made started with the same two things. Um, usually some amount of liver and avocado and meat and eggs. That, that was the base, not necessarily fruits and vegetables. Not that there's anything wrong, but we also know those, those yeah. foods have anti-nutrients and sugars and other problems. So I, I, I'm not surprised that the, the child is struggling with this. It, I think it can be ver- reversed very quickly. Um, but I think it needs to be a strict whole food paleo diet. It doesn't have to be low carb. It, 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 it just needs to be good, real food. And I don't know that this child's going to need much more than that. Now, the supplements like copper, anything anti-inflammatory right now could certainly help. But I think this child's yeah. body's just screaming for real food. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All and, right. And that, so that, that, yeah, that was not an ideal start to life. And it, it's so common today. That's why we're seeing so many young children with so many health problems. Yeah. Well, and he, he did way better than his older sister started. Uh, my wife was diagnosed. Everything was going fine during the pregnancy. And then one day we went for an appointment and her blood pressure was a little high. And then they're like, we're going to put you in observation. And then, 11 days later, we had a 30-week-old baby that weighed two pounds. The, the more time you spend engaging with our medical system, the less healthy you will be. I, I am completely convinced oh, yeah. of that. Um, the other thing we're seeing now, and this compounds the, the problem even more, um, Dr. Griffin, I would, are you familiar with the Pottinger's cat? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, don't you think we're seeing that more and more now? We're we're seeing the effects of poor nutrition and poor diet over several generations now, and I believe because of that, the the children are even more of a challenge than they've ever been health wise. I, I agree, and I think a lot of our problems today are because of poor nutrition. Not only for and it's multiple generations, right? Something that our our grandparents were switching to the processed foods, to the easy prepared foods, our parents switching to those foods as well, more so, and then more so and more so to all of the convenience foods that we have now that goes back to that malnutrition, obesity epidemic that I talked about earlier too. 
is we're just we're decreasing the nutrition generation after generation. So like Pottinger's cats is over what was it a ten year study that they did of what they gave them and decreased their health. So is I think we're seeing that. Why are we seeing kids with more diseases than ever before in history? We can. I'm not going to jump into the whole vaccine thing, but is is that one possible variable? Yes. How about nutrition? Is right. the biggest variable. If you take take away nutrition, that's when people are become more susceptible to illness. If take away the things that we need, we're going to have problems, and it just it goes deeper and deeper. And we our children are already starting at a disadvantage because the food that, let's say, Kevin, you and I grew up on is not the same food as that we have today. And even if we're talking about regular conventionally grown vegetables that have decreased in nutrition value. So kids already are getting even the baby food today. If it's a store-bought baby food or even if you're making your own, it's already at a lower nutrition level than it was 30 years ago, 50 years ago. Yeah, we start at a nutritional deficit, but now how much of our genetics that started from mom's egg, dad's sperm already had a nutrition deficiency? So from our parents to now, yeah. My my wife, she has trouble with onions like on some other digest, digestive stuff. And I everyone find like, you need to fill out a Nutri-Q and get yourself straightened out, but can't make somebody want to change. No. Um, people and I just learned own, yeah, people have I just learned that. all of her her aunts, her mom's sisters, they have digestive problems and I was like, oh so like this is just like you're saying it's generator. I'm like, oh goodness. Well it, it okay. yeah it's gonna, be, it's gonna be an uphill I, battle. I think we talked last time about nature and nurture is that it isn't one thing or the other. And I don't want to completely blame genetic, but there is a slight genetic component to some things, but it doesn't mean it is the end all be all. And we can fix a lot of things with nutrition is give the body what it needs. It wants to heal. It wants to survive. It wants to thrive. But if we give it lack of nutrition, if we take away those nutrients, it's going to have a hard time thriving or even surviving at that point. And this even goes into, you know, even with pregnancy is why are babies born prematurely? It's because something's going on with mom. It's mom's body saying, I can no longer support this new life. Maybe I need to get rid of it so that I can survive. And it, it gets, it, I guess it gets kind of dark and into the, you know, very Darwinistic ideas, but that's what it comes down to is, and again, no offense meant to anybody out there, but a baby is really a parasitic organism on the mother. Right. Yeah. Completely, completely dependent. There is no synergy involved in the birth of a child. It is a parasitic being to that mother. It's taking mom's nutrition if mom's body can't nurture, can't nourish, that's when a spontaneous abortion happens. That's when the body tries to say, hey, now is not a good time for this human being. We are going to let go of this other being to stay yeah. alive. And we should also put that into context in the case of the earlier call, not being able to get pregnant. It, the, the mother's body yeah. is saying something. It would be dangerous right. for you to attempt to give birth in your health condition the way it is, so the body's smart enough to not even let it happen. 
Yeah, exactly. So let, let's talk just very briefly on that is how about amenorrhea that happens in female athletes? What happens in female athletes is their body fat drops so low that their body, their very animalistic body says that we are in a time of famine. There's not enough food that we can have fat on our body. If our fat drops below two, to whatever the percentage is, we now lose the menses. We stop the ability to reproduce because we think as a being trying to survive, now is not a good time. Are we in a famine? Are we at time of war where we can't get food? We shut off the reproduction cycle and stop reproduction. So when somebody can't get pregnant, what's the nutrition level of the mom? What's the nutrition level of dad that now if we force this with in vitro fertilization or fertility drugs, what detriment is that life going to start out at? Because we're forcing something that our body is telling us now is not a good time to get pregnant. Let's wait. Let's get mom and dad's nutrition correct so that we can now grow a healthy, active, beneficial child. Absolutely. And then we, we, we can't forget the double whammy. Our, our diet and our, our, our diet is lacking in nutrition, seriously lacking in nutrition. And there are a lot more toxins in our entire environment, our food supply, our air, our water, virtually everywhere than there were just a generation or two ago. I think about it. I, I was just talking about this the other day. I didn't even realize this, but during my childhood, plastic didn't really exist. Everything we had was metal or glass or wood or some natural substance until plastic came along. Then plastic became popular, and now virtually everything seems to be made out of plastic. That's that's a really recent change in 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 our time. Yeah, definitely. The plastics that have come about is everything comes in a plastic container. And think about like those phytoestrogens from plastic now is that we're throwing this whole other thing in. Now, how about the recyclability of plastics, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and all of these? Again, this is a petrochemical. Where did plastics come from? They came from the oil industry. How much oil goes into making these plastics? So is and they're everywhere. And now think about we have a newborn baby, and what do we put on them? Plastic diapers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we've got plastics rubbing off onto their skin and absorbing into skin, too. It's, again, these things that didn't exist. If they're... Six years ago, when we were children. If they're... All over the place. And if they're bottle-fed, the bottle, the liner, the nipple, the, the containers, all the food, there's so much plastic in our food supply now. Just that one thing alone, but... Glyphosate wasn't around then. And, and how many other chemicals exist now that didn't exist? And, and the babies are dealing with this from day one and, and actually worse than day one. They're dealing with our exposure and, and some of our parents' exposure. And I just think that each generation now is going to get less and less healthy and be more and more challenging to try to fix. Agreed. And it's going to be harder and harder because of those chemicals. I mean, yes, is what was it Dow Chemical that said better living through chemistry? I think yeah. it was their yeah. it was Dow Chemicals was better living through chemistry was their uh, catchphrase for years. That didn't that didn't age well. 
it did not age well. And how about let's go backwards now and we talk about paleo diet and our ancestral lifestyle is maybe that maybe that's the answer is going backwards a little bit. I mean, we love the technology, we love the conveniences, but what detriment, what what's been the cost of all of these modern conveniences? And I, I think I made reference um, not too long ago, I was chatting with a friend and talked about uh, back to the AI and how things are being done for us is WALL-E, the movie WALL-E, where, you know, people are, it's robots feeding us and people are just sitting there being entertained. So if you haven't seen WALL-E, great movie. <laughs> Kid friendly too. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I can't believe it. I just looked up at the clock and we're approaching the two hour mark now. I think we should... Uh... It happens. Yeah, it does. It, it always happens when you get on the show. You and I could go on and on for, with this forever. Uh, my voice is starting to yeah. fail. I'm, I'm starting to feel it a little bit. So I, I think I might uh, take the rest of the day and get caught up on some reading. Well, I'm going to prescribe some bed rest for you and, uh, you know, resting and uh, catching up on some reading as well as some silver there for you. I, I think I'm going to gargle with it, a little silver nasal spray. Take a nap, get some reading in. I think I'm going to follow the doctor's orders. Excellent. Perfect. Well, Kevin, it's a pleasure as always chatting with you and hanging out with you for a couple hours today. And uh, anytime you uh, need somebody on, let me know and just want to chat. I'll take calls any day. Perfect. We love that. That was fun today, by the way. I, I loved your perspective. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Definitely. Fantastic. All right. That's a great thing. Talk to you soon. Take Be safe. I hope you feel better. I Thank you. Take care. All right, one more quick announcement, and I'm going to wrap this up. Hopefully my my voice makes it through this. We do have a new product in the mar in the uh, store, the Let's Truck store at letstruck.com. And I got to tell you, I love this one. We I have tried so many different soaps over the years, and there's a ton of good soap on the market these days. Um, the line we brought in is just my absolute favorite out of everything I've tried. Very, very clean, very few ingredients. The base is beef tallow, and this soap is so creamy and rich. Uh, and the scents that they used, all essential oils or real products, they, I got to tell you, the coffee soap is pretty incredible because it's got real coffee. I think they grind up the shells uh, of the coffee bean in there where it's, it's coffee beans itself ground up, but it, so it's, uh, it's a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, rough. That's not the word I was thinking of. Um, helps exfoliate cause it's, uh, cause it's a little rough. The, the scent of the coffee is incredible, but, uh, the other ones are all good too. Cedarwood, lemongrass, Lavender tea tree, eucalyptus, and peppermint are the essential oils used in the soaps. Uh, just a couple ingredients, one of the cleanest soaps I've ever seen. And the other thing about it, it lasts forever. Like, I get, hold on. I got to the point where I open a couple bars at the same time because I like to switch scents now and then, and the bar lasts so long. Um, I feel like I never get to try a new one. So head on over to the store, stock up on uh, anything you might be missing out on, and try the new soap. Pretty incredible stuff. All right. Um, I know I said I was going to bring back spaces this week. I may tomorrow or Friday. Um, I'll keep that in mind. I'm not going to do it today because uh, I just need to go rest. 
Um, I'm going to listen to my body battery for a while and try to recover from this. So uh, we will see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.